Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Dispatch Podcast. It's Paul Cross here, and I am once again joined by Felicity McNeil, uh, the chair, co-founder of Better Access Australia. And Felicity, I believe you just got off a plane back from Perth. I certainly did, Paul, and thanks for making time. Now, now you attended a pretty significant announcement in Perth yesterday, and we're going to spend a bit of time today talking about that uh, in relation to newborn screening. A bit of background to that, because Better Access has been working on that for around a year. It's been a significant focus, and I think people would like to understand exactly how we got to this point. What was the process that you undertook to get interest in it, it did sort of tend, sort of, I got the feeling, sort of appear out of nowhere on the political radar, but I know you've been working on it for some time. But tell me about the announcement yesterday. Oh, look, it was wonderful to be there, Paul, and to watch patients like Renee and little Olympia, watch Mr Albanese with day-old babies from the West Australian Hospital with mums having to realise that perhaps their babies aren't going to be screened as much as and as comprehensively as they could be, but welcoming the announcement. It was great to finally have recognition that Australia is living in the 1990s and we need to move into the 21st century and we are so grateful for the work of Dr Freelander, Mr Butler and Mr Albanese in listening to the community, listening to the science and saying we've got to fix this and we've got to be world leaders in newborn health again in Australia. I wrote this morning that it's an extraordinary announcement because it's an actual reform, which is not something we've actually seen a lot of lately. I think people have come to expect reviews, pilots, plans, national action plans, financing changes, price cuts. They've mistaken those as actual reforms. Yes, look, we've seen a lot of pilots. When when in doubt and we don't want to do something, we pilot it and say until we see the outcomes of the pilot, we couldn't possibly consider doing anything else. It's pilots that have got us to the point that you can have a gene therapy potentially curative listed for SMA and still only have one in three babies in this country screened to actually access that drug. So look, it's taken a bit of effort. I think we owe you a debt of gratitude, Paul, because it was at your conference 11 months ago that we first launched our two videos about why newborn screening had to change in Australia about what process we were putting patients and their families through disease by disease, state by state, years of uncertainty, asking patients around a kitchen table to put together the same kind of dossier that a pharmaceutical company spends hundreds of thousands of dollars together through a committed and national process. This was what people were facing. I was shocked in that room at how shocked everybody was, both A, that they didn't understand B, what it meant at a a personal level to see the suffering that is going on in the community. And I think some of the hardest things I dealt with was people saying, you know, yeah, we've been working on this for 10, 12, 15 years. (laughs) I'm like, well, then we have to do something different, people, because this is not acceptable. Well, kudos to the parents who are willing to share their story, not just in that video, but more broadly. Jenna, who is the mother of little Nate, who wasn't diagnosed with Pompeii, until it was too late and passed away. And I think there's too many stories like that. And Jenna and her family have been so open in sharing that trauma. To this day, I remain shocked that we are meant to accept the situation where a disease will only be added to Australia's newborn screening programs once it goes through a bureaucratic review, consideration by the Chief Medical Officer and their state and territory counterparts, a full submission and HTA 
review by MSAC. And then even if it makes it through that process, which surely takes two to three years, it's then up to the states and territories about whether they add anything. And my, my understanding is that one of the issues is the state and territory technology is so old, it can't actually accommodate many more tests. Yeah, it, there's the need for further infrastructure, an extra small machine sitting on a desk and more time to process. We should be very grateful the department's planning to issue a new flowchart to remind people how to go through that two-year-plus process. So, you know, there are some small wins in government today. But more importantly, we're so grateful because Labor's understood that basically taking inspiration from your former minister, Mike Wildridge here, who looked at what used to be state immunisation programs and said, nationally, all our children need protection. This should be a priority for this country. We're learning from that lesson of that government and saying we need to nationalise newborn screening. It needs to be a genuine capital N, capital P national program. And that's what Labor's committed to. What they've also committed to is saying, we know all these tests are available and doable and evidence-based, and we can do that today. They're also looking at the fact that we can not wait two or three years per test, which basically means by the time we do it under the current process, we'll take about 170 years to catch up to California. We're going to do that within six to 12 months. We're going to review those, make them available, purchase the technology, and then start screening babies. This becomes a genuine thing like we do with the National Immunisation Program, where a federal program is funded by the federal government and administration is delivered through the states. It shares the burden of those costs. It makes it affordable and easier for the state governments to actually invest in the time and the the human resources to do that and then most importantly we're not going to be sitting here in two years time finding that the world has moved on because they've also committed to biannually review what's happening what else should we be adding what should we be changing it's not about being stagnant it's not just doing the 30-year catch-up it's then forward planning and that's what Labor's introducing and we should all get on board. I think the NIP, the National Immunisation Program, is a really good example. The federal bureaucracy, when Michael was appointed minister, and you know Australia's childhood immunisation rates were thirty to forty percent, which is inconceivable today. But we're at levels around Botswana, Zimbabwe, because there was no national leadership on childhood immunisation. And when he proposed the takeover, he tells this story all the time. The federal bureaucracy opposed it. In the same way, I think they probably have a will oppose and have opposed a proper national takeover of newborn screening because they don't want responsibility for the program delivery. But that is exactly what this announcement is, my understanding, is that that, that will become a program area inside the the Federal Health Department, which frankly is exactly what's needed. Absolutely. It's going to end the postcode lottery. It's going to end it for WA versus New South Wales. It's going to end it for the fact that no postcode in Australia will screen for 50 diseases that we treat in this country. It's It's been inexcusable. And right now we've got a commitment from one side of the parliament saying, we'll fix this. If you elect us, we'll fix this. I'd like to remind the coalition that the report this came out of, the, the novel Final Frontiers report, was bipartisan support for these recommendations. It wasn't a Labor recommendation. It was bipartisan. I'd like to remind the coalition that the motion that was moved in Parliament on the 18th of October for newborn screening was a bipartisan motion. Babies aren't politics. Babies are for all of us. And we need a bipartisan commitment to this initiative. It surprised me that Minister Hunt has left himself exposed on this issue. He's announced so many treatments to be funded, but they're fundamentally unimplementable nationally and in a universal sense because of the, the lack of screening. 
I think he left his flank exposed on this issue. It's as right in his wheelhouse, I thought, and it was really right for him to do something. And he hasn't done it, and he's criticised Labor yesterday, which oh, he was very defensive, and I, and I suppose I understand that politically, but and having been a minister for five and a half years now, he, he now can't admit that the process that they've put together, which is, if it wasn't so cruel to patients, would be a joke. It would actually be funny. And the fact they've hired a consulting firm to essentially promote it to stakeholders, the inevitable conclusion of that process is that the only diseases that can ever be added to newborn screening are those for which there is a treatment. Because in the end, you and I know that the only people who are going to do MSAC, full, full evaluations, and to be able to pay for it, are people who've got commercial skin in the game, and that's, that's companies with products. Absolutely. And I remind again, I think we talked about it the other week, we had some of the most amazing listings for cystic fibrosis in the budget, and we have had for the last seven years. When we started screening for cystic fibrosis, there were no treatments. It was basically best supportive care. Yet that early screening has allowed pharmaceutical companies and researchers to develop something extraordinary. So the 80 diseases that labour is going to cover include a number of lysosomal storage disorders. You've heard us talk and we did present it at your conference on childhood dementia. Now, many lysosomal storage disorders, including San Filippo disease, are potentially the cause of some areas of childhood dementia. Now, in screening for Pompeii and Gaucha and Fabry, those are diseases we can treat. But if we screen for San Filippo, we can also tell those families very early on about the risk to their children. We can also allow them access to these early stage clinical trials. So we shouldn't only ever be confined by what we can treat. We should be confined to what we can diagnose and how we can help families. And so that's why, you know, California does lead the way. They're up to 80 and they can't treat everything, but they screen for them because it's important. Isn't it nice that a political party is actually announcing an outcome without a review or a pilot? They're just going to do it. And that's that's a very unusual thing. But you and I have both seen the correspondence to patients from Departmental Secretary Brendan Murphy when he was Chief Medical Officer telling a patient group that actually no parents shouldn't know that their that their children are potentially vulnerable to a degenerative genetic disease because it would cause them psychological harm and and that i think you and i had the the same emotional response to that correspondence which was who actually put pen to paper to write that sentence that a parent doesn't have a right to know Yes, so I think Jane Holton at your conference did exactly what Jane would have done when I worked for her, which was, who on earth that would never have got through me? She was pretty angry. And she was angry and rightfully so, because we had Renee, who was at the announcement by uh, Mr Albanese yesterday, and she was in your, your video at the conference, and she said, that was like being told, could you just go away and die, please? Mm. I've listened to Megan O'Connell talk from the Childhood Dementia Initiative when people have told her and people don't want to know or perhaps shouldn't be told that their child is potentially going to develop a disease. Who on earth are you as a clinician to tell that to a parent and to people? That is their choice. We talk about health literacy all the time as if it's being able to read a consumer information pamphlet. No, health literacy (laughs) is empowerment over my health. My diagnostics, my diagnostic journey, uh, I can decide that for myself. Just as everyone does already today with screening for, for newborn screening today, I make an informed decision. I did make an informed decision to have my children screened at birth. The logical extension of what he said in that correspondence was we shouldn't be screening for anything. 
No. That's the, that's the logical extension is why screen for anything if we're just seeking to identify a risk? It causes too much trauma. Whoever succeeds Greg Hunt as health minister has a big job on their hands. doesn't matter who wins the election, we're going to have a new health minister. And they have a big job on their hands to shift this mindset that sees patients as just a problem. You referred to earlier that... Labor's going to get in there and actually do this, not another review, not another pilot. You ask about how things happen. That doesn't happen by accident. That's because some wonderful people who volunteer with me and some who work with me have put a lot of time and effort to bringing together all the international evidence that shows that this isn't Australia experimenting or piloting. This is testing that goes on around the country, around the world, every single day that is in multiple journals. The information is all there. I remind everybody about how the MBS task forces could basically pull together thousands of items, multiple levels of research, expertise, patients, ethicists, and work out what was optimal both domestically and internationally. That's what Labor's committed to. We're not doing anything that puts children at risk. We're not doing anything that's outside standard process. We're saying there's a lot of bodies of evidence. It's time to stop ignoring the bodies of evidence and just get on with it. Yeah, just get on with it. Let's talk about how it actually happened. There's some very strange claims about having worked on this issue for 10 or 12 years. This was actually a really easy fix in the end. And I wonder if it just took some clear new thinking, patient advocacy, you were putting patients at the front of what you were doing in their experience, which is quite harrowing. Raymond Sage from the Australian Pompeii Association did actually make mention of this, and that's consistent with the work that they had done in a New South Wales inquiry too, which talked about the fact that diagnosis of a rare disease is on average, if it's not screened for, 80 to 90 days in a metropolitan area, but 180 days if you live in rural and remote. So newborn screening disadvantages rural and remote kids even more so than actually not having it at all. People need to understand that because these tests aren't available in newborn screening right now, you can't just order it. It's not like you can just go and say, well, I don't do PET scans for cancer, but you can pay for it. A lot of this screening is simply not available at all in this country because it's not made available uh, on any aspects of the public health system. So families are either missing out on that screening altogether or having to send it somewhere else post-birth to have that done. Many of those screens are done overseas. This is why it's so far behind in Australia. But getting back to your question, what did we do? I have been very committed to this when I realised that after listing all those different treatments for children and for um, infants, the reason we didn't have sufficient uptake was because we weren't screening. I didn't understand. And that's my fault as a bureaucrat. I didn't understand that that part of the system didn't work the way I thought it did. When you realise that you can treat something and you're not giving babies a chance to actually live a long and healthy life, then you have to do something about it. We spent a lot of time, and again, it was Raymond Sage at, at Pompeii who inspired me to keep doing this and to find a way forward. And what was really evident is, again, the disease-by-disease, patient-by-patient group approach means that you're dividing and conquering. You're asking families who are either in treatment themselves or who have lost children to find time to do something. Instead, what we did was actually go and research internationally, not just individual diseases, but everything that was available, what had been approved. And we put that all together. And I think in August, we launched officially our election request, which was for a one-off review, up to 80 diseases, a commitment to it being a national program administered federally with support from the states and thereafter biannual reviews. We used that request for an election commitment to go to uh, dozens, (laughs) it felt like hundreds, but dozens 
of politicians. The upside of lockdowns around the country was it was a lot easier to get a Zoom with people and to take the time to explain the position. What I was continually shocked by was that nobody understood the way the system really worked, even if they were a medical professional themselves. So we took the time and the effort, we put forward the evidence, we sat with anybody that would listen and talk to us and we were willing to confound expectations. The upside for us also is that I wasn't caring for a sick child and I didn't benefit from it. So people will give us a lot of time and effort to look through the evidence and as you know at Better Access it's about evidence-based reform. I must say that again we owe a, a large debt to Dr Freelander, who took the time and effort to understand it and to work that through with the committee to get that bipartisan support. He was convinced because we were able to provide the evidence. The reason we could provide the evidence is because of Amgen Australia, who funded us to do this work. They believed in the fact that this was the right thing to do. We didn't just say there was a problem, we showed how to fix it. I suppose the issue we have now is that if the coalition are re-elected, are they going to stick with their existing process, which is which is a farce and it's embarrassing. The, the only the uh, the only rationale I can think that people have for supporting that process is because they don't understand the MSAC process and how complex it is, and that this is a committee that only recommended prenatal screening for spinal muscular atrophy because it would lead to fewer births and less treatment. It was only cost-effective on the basis that fewer babies would be born and they would not have to be treated. And that's not me paraphrasing their public summary document. That is explicitly what they said. It does. And so how is that, how, how is that committee then going to be comfortable with population-level screening for a disease? Because what do we know it's, it's going to mean? It's going to be more diagnosis and more treatment. It's going to lead to increased costs. And government and policymakers need to get their head around that. There's no point funding these treatments like the gene therapy for SMA and all the other treatments for SMA that now exist and are, and are funded pre-symptomatically if we're not actually diagnosing these children. And it, to me, it beggars belief that anyone can support that process. So now, obviously, the onus turns to the coalition and they have to get on board and match this commitment. They do. And I'd like to remind them that they agree to it. There was bipartisan support for these recommendations in that report. There is bipartisan support for the motion in Parliament. And do you know what? Sometimes it's just the right thing to do. We've spent a lot of time also with all the state and territory governments. When we sit and talk with, whether it's a bureaucrat or a minister in those areas, and we talk about what the National Immunisation Program has meant and how that's transformed things, most people kind of see it as a no-brainer. We're 30 years behind we always in Australia want to talk about we're world leaders in this and we're world leaders in that and we've got a world leading research fund. I don't want research, I want action and this is action. This is action that will literally save babies' lives. Two and a half thousand children die every year under the age of 14 from perinatal and congenital conditions. Five babies born today aren't going to get told that they have a really serious disease that we could treat and that could lead to quite tragic consequences, like we listened to Nate's story and Joe's son's story. That's the reality of not screening. That's five today, 35 this week, 140 in April, 1,700 babies this year. We can't forget that the current process around newborn screening will take two to three years at least to get to that recommendation from MSAG, which will then require individual patient groups and advocates to go to every jurisdiction in Australia for every disease 
and advocate for it for it to be included in their screening test. Absolutely. And as someone in WA said to me yesterday, I can't tell you that I don't have the energy. I need to have the energy, but I don't have the energy to do this on eight states and territories if I can even finally get the test through for my disease. It's pitching patients against patients. Mm-hmm. And I just hope Greg Hunt's not going to be health, health minister essentially for the next few days then the election is called, the writs are issued, caretaker, but it doesn't mean the coalition can't make a commitment on this. I know they've been gazumped on it to a certain extent politically, but there's right and wrong, and there's a right thing to do here. The the Marie Antoinette, I know it's a phrase I use a lot, but it's the Marie Antoinette statement he issued yesterday, which was, we already fund newborn screening through the National Health Reform Agreement, which is just ridiculous, because we know that's the whole problem. <laughs> that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's just evidence of the problem, because what that has delivered... For to, to us is a system that is 30 to 40 years out of date that is governed by a mindset that p- babies or parents of babies don't need to know that their child is at risk of developing a genetic illness and if we diagnose more babies it's going to lead to more cost. I think as I said to you in the, the podcast before the budget we are not political, we're not concerned, we just want whoever will actually change and reform the health system for newborn screening, that's what we wanted. We wrote to every parliamentarian on an equal basis. We wrote to all parties, irrespective of their interests. We wrote to them whether they be shadow ministers or backbenchers, senators or members. We wrote to them whether they were federal ministers or federal backbenchers for the par- for, for the government. So there's not an issue here of playing favourites. The fact that Labor chose to listen and investigate this and action at first, we're so incredibly grateful But like I said, we want bipartisan support for this. And again, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. These recommendations in that inquiry had bipartisan support. So it's very easy for everyone to turn around and say, you know what, we've been doing a great job, but we can do better. Let's just get to this. This is $38 million over four years to create uh, program administration and to deliver the program. If the government is funding treatment, surely It wants everyone who would benefit to benefit. This is babies and it's newborn screening, but it's also something that patients talked about at the Farmers Conference. They talk about how the treatments are great, but they wait for three years for diagnosis. There's a lot more to be done in this space for the future of therapeutics in Australia and the future of diagnostics and access. But can we start with the babies, please? Because this right now is a solution that's workable and could be a reality in 12 months. And there is something particularly cruel about current newborn screening in Australia because every parent sees their baby taken away to have the heel prick test. And I, I, I bet 90, 95, 99% do not understand that they're being screened for very little compared to babies in other countries and that a baby in Wodonga in Victoria is not screened for the same number of diseases as a baby in, in Albury in New South Wales. Absolutely, which is why you know, you've talked about so many of the wonderful stories of, of courage that that families have shared and that's Adriana in Victoria who went and got treatment for SMA in New South Wales when her daughter was diagnosed eventually after she noticed symptoms and was absolutely devastated that when she got there she was told in New South Wales oh well, we would have screened for this for birth and been treating months ago. The impact that has had on her life, on her daughter's life, on her family's life. The treatment has been doing wonderful things for her but there's some irreparable damage that has been done 
And that's why she keeps fighting every single day for access to SMA screening. That's why Jenna fights every day for Pompeii screening. That's why families who deal with severe combined immunodeficiency fight every day. Jo, as she said in our statement, she lost her first child to SCID and her second child is strong and fit and healthy because they knew and they treated from birth. Well, it's a fantastic announcement. Congratulations. I know you jumped on a plane and went to Perth and then jumped on a plane and came straight back. really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a fantastic project that you've been working on with your organisation. You've been out there every week across all, all media platforms. I think I heard you on radio maybe last week or a couple of weeks ago. So that was absolutely fantastic. And it, and it culminated in yesterday's announcement from Labor, but we need a similar announcement from the from the coalition. We need this to be a, a bipartisan commitment to change this. We know that the Red Book is now going to be rewritten. Oh yeah, that's a happy day for <laughs> the me in the, in the health department. I'm still smiling about that. That, that, one. that uh, they'll have to have some plans to implement this nationally. We need the Blue Book now to say something very similar. So, congratulations to you. Congratulations to the the parents. Uh, their willingness to share their stories has been it's it's quite harrowing to, to speak to them uh, one one because their stories are so distressing but two just because of the courage in sharing their story because it's a trauma that they live with for the rest of their lives when Jenna who was Nate's mum told me yesterday that well our goal is that no parent no family has to go through what we've gone through that's an incredibly brave thing to say so I'd, I'd like to pay special tribute to Jenna and the other families who've been willing to to share their story. Uh, We can say without exaggeration or any inaccuracy that a national program for newborn screening will save the lives of children. It will. And that's unequivocal and undebatable. So congratulations. It's a fantastic outcome. I know you've been working really hard on it and uh, let's hope the other issues come, come to fruition as well in the next few weeks. Thanks, Paul.